Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome back, sisters and brothers. My name is Jan Hockadell. I am the president of AFT Connecticut, and once again, co-hosting our latest episode of AFT in Action. Today, I'm joined by Mary Jordan, who is the president of our local affiliate representing certified teachers in the Norwalk Public Schools. She also serves on AFT Connecticut's executive committee as an at-large vice president in just a few weeks ago, was elected as our jurisdictional vice president for pre-K-12 teachers. Congratulations, Mary. Thank you for being um, a co-host with me today. Thank you very much, Jan. I'm so happy to be invited to this episode since we are talking about a subject that we have a lot of experience with here in Norwalk. Exactly. And you've had a long working relationship with our guests, too. I believe members will gain a lot from hearing about how your local union has benefited from the community education partnerships we are now calling CEPs. We do in Norwalk. We have a long um, trusting relationship with the Dalio Foundation. They have brought us many resources. They've been our thought partners in different uh, initiatives. Among the many programs that the Dalio Foundation and Barbara have supported, uh, I would include uh, Fund for Teachers, which is for professional development experiences for teachers, Teach to One, uh, a really wonderful math program. Um, And currently we are now uh, looking forward to becoming part of the RISE Network, which is just gearing up. There are other programs, but we have um, long felt supported um, by the Dalio Foundation and Mrs. Dalio, who tend to support public education in a very sensitive way, we've learned. Um, and they do a lot of research to make sure that their efforts support structures that are already in place that help us do the work that we need to do, uh, but we can do it better with their partnership. That's great. Um, at our last, on our last episode, we'd been talking about um, public-private partnerships, um, so immediately I thought of the collaboration that you've had with um, Barbara and her family's foundation. Um, and, but today I want to narrow the focus to the discussion of the Dalio's project. See, so many members have been asking us about it. And as the press release says, they're making an unprecedented investment to fuse together educational, workforce development, financial, and community efforts to reach the students across Connecticut who are most in need. I've seen firsthand that the Dalio's can, what the Dalio's can accomplish supporting education in our town. And it's very exciting to consider the possibilities as that's scaling up across the state of Connecticut. So let's jump right into the discussion and introduce our guests. Um, with us today is Barbara Dalio and Andrew Ferguson. And Barbara has invested over $50 million in Connecticut schools and communities over the past four years. And she is here with us today to discuss the foundation's new partnership with the state of Connecticut. And the goal is to close the achievement gap in public education in underserved communities. And she has agreed to answer questions that our members have raised over the last six weeks um, since we learned about it. So Barbara, Andrew, thank you for being here with us in AFT in Action. We appreciate you making the time to share your vision and your thoughts about the new partnership. Um, and especially to answer our members' questions. John and Mary, thank you for having us. And Mary, thank you for your kind words. Um, Norwalk was the first community that we we started working with. 
Um, so the primary objective of the partnership is to get um, to help the high school students that are uh, about to drop off school and get them through high school and then get them through, give them job, um, get them through jobs. The second objective is to be able to bring everybody together, the, the rich, the poor, the Democrats, the Republicans, and really work all together, um, feeling good about each other and also feeling good about the goal, which is really the primary goal is, is just help the students that are, that are struggling. Wonderful. Um, I wonder if you can paint the picture for us. Who benefits from the work of this partnership? Um, the kind of supports, what is the young person who is expected to benefit from this work? That's a great question. I mean, to Barbara's first point about the objective to get a kid through high school into a job, right? So the young person that's envisioned here is a kid across Connecticut who may show sign of disengagement from school, is somewhere between the age of 14 to 24 years of age, and for whatever reason, isn't able to connect to the opportunities that are presently available for him or her. For example, he or she may not have a car, may not have access to public transportation, but may need transportation to get to the local job training center, may need transportation to get to the local summer program. Collectively, our responsibility through this partnership as educators across Connecticut, as school leaders, as citizens, right, is to think about ways to address that need for that young person, with that young person. It's about getting a disengaged young person connected to opportunity so they can pursue their passions through an upwardly mobile career path. And then we have also the young people that um, are disconnected from school, but with, we have seen that the youth development organizations have turned around those kids and they, uh, and, and working with them, they have, um, they, they have really created the, the will for, the ki for these young people to go back to school. Thank you very much, Barbara. This is such an ambitious project and an unprecedented commitment of philanthropic support for public education. Bringing everyone together is something that you did really well in Norwalk, making sure that you were listening to teachers' voices, but also bringing in administrators and community members as well. Can you share with our members your inspiration for launching the partnership and some of the goals that you help hope it can achieve? Over the years, um, I've always heard um, all the deep cuts that have been happening um, more and more. And I have heard um, how um, upsetting this is for the teachers and how challenging it makes their work. So I always felt bad for, for the kids, for the, the, the challenges that the public schools faced every time there is a deep code, so deep uh, cut. I don't think people realize um, the challenges that public schools have every time on this cuts happen. Um, and so this had happened over the past years, and um, I always found it very unfair and upsetting that the programs that were caught were uh, mental health, social workers, after-school activities, uh, arts, and things that can really engage the kids. And sometimes, you know, when you hear about shootings that happens, um, you wonder if those young people would, would have been 
in after-school programs that engage, it, they would have not been on the street. So we finally, as things are getting worse now also with, with um, Connecticut struggling economically, we started to say, well, how can we, the foundation alone cannot do it because it wouldn't be sustainable or possible, and why we started brainstorming, and that's how we came up with the idea. That's great. Thank you so much. So I just wanted to talk a little bit um, about some of the considerations that we have been having here in AFT Connecticut, but also on a national level about what community education partnerships should look like and, and when we should support them. And so far, we have 16 requirements um, that have been part of the ongoing discussion, again, at a national level, um, but also with our AFT Executive Committee here in our pre-K-12 policy. Um, and the first one was that, you know, is there a history and a relationship? And obviously there is um, here. So can you share the next one is how educators will actually have a seat at the table in developing and implementing your plans? As Mary said, um, we have always worked uh, from bottom up. Um, we believe in bringing everybody together and um, it's, it's, that really brings the best outcomes. Um, so we, that's how we have always worked and we certainly want to have educators and at least one teacher on the board. Then the board really would, the governing board will determine who those members will be. And that's exactly what I've heard from our members in Meriden um, when you help them with the RISE program, that the educators actually get together themselves and develop the project that they see will best help their students, um, and then you just help support them and fund them, and it, it, that's fantastic work you're doing. The RISE network is designed by the teachers, uh, for the teachers. Donors choose and fund for teachers. Uh, they decide what programs, what they need in the classroom. When we hear that, um, you know, there are mental issues um, in, I mean, not just in the schools all over, but, or that social emotional is required with, that's how we decide that we should bring uh, some mental health services and also the, the, that social emotional learning is very important. And um, so it's really, and the, and the disconnected and disengaged, we work with the uh, youth development, uh, development agencies because the teachers tell us that there are kids that are about to drop out and they need extra support. It is such important work and it allows the teachers to serve the student needs in such a, in such a sensitive and precise way. Can you share how you see this new initiative scaling up successful efforts like these in um, it, that we've already done in local districts like ours? Well, these, um, I want to make clear that this um, initiative, the partnership, will be um, in separate and in addition for from the programs that we will continue to support and is not changing at all. It will be um, more targeted. And, um, and then the programs will be all um, decided by the, by the board. 
So the partnership itself is an independent, nonprofit organization newly created for the purpose of this partnership. So it's overseen by a board. We're in the process of developing the board. There'll be a staff to the partnership, and it is they who ultimately will figure out what the precise programs are to accomplish the mission of the partnership. And in our last podcast, like I mentioned, um, we announced that we were going to do public-private partnerships. And we got a lot of questions. And again, I want to stress that I don't see this as a public-private partnership, which is why we're actually calling it a community educational um, partnership, just to make the difference. But um, so I had Joanne from uh, one of our pre-K-12 teachers in North Haven who asks how these grants will be requested and decided upon. I'm, I'm thinking that she probably has an idea in mind and is the, the program is developed. How would she go about applying and who would make that decision? It will be a board decision. So it's, it's fair and it's with a wide range of, of opinions. I mean, it's the board that will determine the program criteria, how the process works, right? All that will be forthcoming uh, as this partnership really gets its legs. And just, Jan, to the, the opening of your question, which is really important, which is, what is this partnership? It's also say what this is not, mm-hmm. right? This partnership is not a privatization. This partnership, to Barbara's point before, is not top-down. This is bottom-up. This partnership is not for everyone. This partnership is for, to Barbara's point at the outset, for high school-age young people who are showing sign of disengagement, disconnection from traditional district schools and communities, and it's about working together to accomplish the objectives that Barbara stated at the outset. So, and as I've had people texting me and emailing me, it's not the Mark Zuckerberg that, okay, education is broken, I know how to fix it, here's my money, and this is how you're going to fix it. It's more, the teachers or educators in general getting together in those underserved communities saying, okay, I think we have an idea that's never been done before. Um, We would like to apply for a grant and this board will decide whether that grant is approved or not. Who's gonna be on that board? We're in the process now of working through the structure, right? So I should say all this is new, right? Mm-hmm. Both the concept of the partnership, the way you're describing it's right, right? This is unprecedented. There are not models that have been in Connecticut like this at this scale. This is about working together, building trust, building on Barbara's track record of her last 10 years of relationships, collaboration, leadership, listening to educators across the state. And it's about taking the next step forward together to really build even deeper relationships at larger scale for high school age young people. And as part of that, one of the new things we're doing is literally creating this nonprofit organization together. Part of that organization is defining the structure of the board. We're working with the governor now to work that through. Once the structure is defined, then we'll lead to the people by hopefully end of summer, early fall, we'll have in place uh, the people who comprise the board. Obviously, we'll have conversation around that with news to share you know, in weeks ahead. Uh, soon after the board, right, follows the staff, right? There needs to be a wonderful team in place that reflects the values and mission of the partnership because really, we have five years ahead of us together, at least we hope, if successful against the outcomes we, we hope to accomplish together. So we have to set this up right. Another question came from a teacher in Wethersfield, Andrea. She shared her concerns about privatization, specifically schools operated by charter management organizations. Can you talk about where the partnership's investments will be focused? The partnership will only invest in traditional um, public schools, not in charter schools. Thank you for that clarification. So. 
We have also Christine, a teacher from Meriden. She's asking the question that's a good follow-up to uh, Andrea's privatization concern. Specifically, um, she wanted to know what the process will be to ensure that groups with clear anti-union agenda aren't providing or matching those, those additional funds. Can you talk about the, a little bit about the funding and how you'll find those, those partners? Mm -hmm. So that will be the board's responsibility first and foremost to live up to the mission of the partnership, which is about strengthening public education through collaboration for the kids we all care most about, the kids that we're talking about today in terms of high school kids and the objectives that Barb has outlined. In addition to living up to the mission, it's the board's job to help fundraise for it. And so it will be the board's job to accomplish that consistent with the idea of supporting traditional public education. Our last question comes by way of Chris, a teacher from Branford, who shared community concerns with Jan regarding student data privacy. Can you share what you expect will be the parameters of data sharing and use with state agencies or local districts receiving resources? Similar to the question about program criteria for the partnership, that's ultimately up to the governing board. Now look, it's incredibly important that educators, youth development professionals, and others have information resources they need to help engage high school kids. Right, that's essential. How that happens obviously will be the governing board's decision and of course consistent with all relevant rules and best practices for doing so. I think our members are going to have a much better understanding of the foundation's later effort and actually all the great work that you've been doing to support public education after hearing this episode. So, And plus, thank you for answering all our members' questions and help resolve some of their concerns and provide a broader perspective. So thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Andrew, for sitting down with us and coming to AFT Connecticut headquarters during this busy time of year for you and your foundation. John, thank you, and Mary, too, and, and, and all the members for listening to us. I know that this is totally new, and we will have um, more answers as we come along, and we really want to make you feel that, that we do work bottoms up and, and really care for public education, and really we will try our best, all of us together, to really be successful in this endeavor. Thank you. We'll admit that this was our first podcast interview, so we hope we did it well. <laughs> Given your first two that you've had on, you set a high bar, so we, we hope that uh, this has been helpful. And just to um, build on Barbara's point, we so appreciate the time that your members have taken to share questions that are on their mind because they're the ones in schools every day, right? They're the ones teaching the kids that this partnership is designed to help support. And so it's both by having an opportunity through your podcast to answer their questions, it's by listening to their concerns, listening to their ideas now and into the future, right? That's how Barbara's work has happened over the last 10 years, and that's how this work will continue. So just thank you so much for making this possible. Thank you. Thank you both. Mary, thank you so much. We're so fortunate you agreed to be part of this latest podcast. You brought a wealth of both local and state-level uh, union leadership to this very important and timely discussion. And your voice has been invaluable at our executive committee. And I'm so excited that the delegates at the, our latest convention um, elected you to head up our pre-K-12 council. It, it's a, a real honor and a privilege. And it was my pleasure to be part of this conversation this morning. Uh, Barbara and the Dalio team have been a wonderful partner for Norwalk. And you know, I'm very committed to the State Federation and looking forward to continuing that work. To me, this conversation demonstrates what we talk about when we talk about the you and I.
in union. <laughs> well said. And finally, I want to thank our members who took the time to both submit their questions and listen to this discussion. I hope it was not only interesting, but also enlightening. And as always, I invite comments and questions um, for the next episode. We're going to be sitting down with AFT Connecticut's legislative advocates to wrap up the 2019 session of the General Assembly. The legislature is uh, scheduled to adjourn on June 5th, and lawmakers have yet to resolve a number of significant issues, including a final state budget for the next two years. Either way, we'll be talking about what was accomplished and what wasn't, specifically among AFT Connecticut's legislative priorities. So that list is going to be linked to our legislative action section on our website, and plus we'll link it to this episode's page at our podcast, Podbean Channel. So give it a quick review and send your questions to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign A-F-T-C-T dot org. And thank you in advance. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at AFTCT.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the power of the UNI in union.